I am content. You're just saying over and over again. But are we? Are we really content? What would it take for us to be really content? I mean, think about your life. What would need to change about the way it is right now to honestly, truly say, I am content? Have everything I need. I am perfectly happy with where I'm at. What would it take? More money? More free time? Better health? A different house? A different living situation? What would need to change, either for you or in the world, to be content? tricky question to answer because the more time you spend thinking about what would need to change for you to be content, you can find more things with which you're not content. So you spend more time finding ways to be unhappy and content with what you have. Contentment. It's the topic we take up today on the first day of our four-week series asking the question of what does it mean to be a consecrated steward, someone set apart by God to do holy things with the things he's entrusted to your care. Because to do holy things with what God has given you, first we must recognize what God has given and then be content, satisfied with those gifts. That's hard to do. Consider our Old Testament lesson for today. We begin with Adam and Eve. They're living in the Garden of Eden, a place literally built by God for two people to be content. Everything they could ever want or need was in that garden. It was perfect. So much so that after God was done making it, he looked at it and said, it is very good. What more could you want? And yet, as Adam and Eve lived in that most perfect of blessed places, they found there was something more that they wanted. Satan appeared to them, showed them the fruit that looked appealing to the eyes and desirable to eat, and asked a simple question. Did God really say? Well, the moment he placed that in their mind, contentment could be no more. There was something that God had that they did not, and they could not bear to live with the idea that there was something that was beyond their reach, something that God had not given to them, even though he hadn't given it to them for their own benefit. Contentment was shattered, and they were overtaken by greed. Greed was all that was in their thought and their desires. So they took the fruit, they ate. And if it happened to Adam and Eve, why should we be shocked that it happens to us? That Satan, the sinful world, our own sinful nature, would do anything less than dangle before our own eyes those things we do not have and then convince us that our life is lessened because we don't have those things, that we don't have everything we want that it would convince us that we can never be content while others have something that isn't in our own possession. In doing so, Satan's able to convince even us that God must have made a mistake not to bless us in the way that I see fit. 
So I must have what I desire no matter the cost. And all too often in that pursuit of what I want, the world simply cheers us on. Can't afford it? Don't worry. Buy it on credit. Unhappy with the body that God has given you? Don't worry. You can change it. You don't like the person you've chosen to marry? Don't worry. Find someone else and you can change them too. Think it's unfair that you've been asked to live in a certain way by God? Don't worry as long as everybody consents, it's really no big deal. Begin to bristle at the very idea that God, someone apart from us, would define what it means to live a holy life. Don't worry, the world says. You can change him too. All gods are equal. Choose the one you'd like. Choose the one who'd let you do what you want. Greed destroys contentment. Greed tells us that we should be our own God, doing what is right in our own eyes, convinced that our own personal happiness is the only pursuit we should follow in this life, and nothing should stand in our way. It's the basis of sin in the world. Adam and Eve could not bear the thought that they were not like God, and the greed to be like him destroyed any contentment they could have in the Garden of Eden. The idea that we cannot be like God, deciding for ourselves what would be under our control, is more than we can handle. And so all of a sudden, our neighbor's grass is greener, and everybody's life looks better than our own. And it's because this greed, this discontent, has so effectively invaded our lives that it's so important that we hear the gospel lesson recorded for us today. The story that right after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that fasting, when he's at his weakest, hungry and thirsty, Satan comes and he tempts our Lord just like he did in the Garden of Eden. But this time, Jesus doesn't have all of the blessings of God at his disposal. He's not surrounded by a garden upon which God has smiled and said, it is very good. No, he's in the wilderness alone, hungry and tired. So three times Satan comes to him in that moment and says, did God really say? Twisting the verses of the Old Testament to his own advantage, changing God's words to try and get Jesus to falter. He tempts Jesus' hungry body with food. He tempts his ego with power. He tempts his faith with false promises not given by God. But unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus does not fall prey to Satan's wiles. No, he is able to turn away from that greed and rest in the contentment of knowing that his heavenly Father has given him all that he needs. His heavenly Father has provided all that he needs. His heavenly Father, our heavenly Father, is there to protect and preserve him in the face of Satan and his temptation. And in resting in that contentment, in rebuking the work of the devil, Jesus is able to succeed where we fail, and he abides in the promises of God, and he does this for you. Jesus remains content in the face of greed precisely because we cannot, 
He knows that we will chase after every shiny thing that Satan flashes before our eyes. He knows that we'll spend a lifetime chasing our tails, trying to be content, only to realize that when we finally have the thing we thought would make us content, there's something else that somebody else has that would be even better. So Jesus remains content because he cannot. And in this way, his death on the cross is able to make payment for the sins of our greed to pay off the debt incurred by our greed. His death earns forgiveness for you because he dies for the sins you have committed, not the sins he committed. And he gives that forgiveness to you. He forgives your greed and your discontent, and he shows you that all that you need cannot be found in the world, but only in God himself. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll spend time learning more about what these gifts of God mean for us. How do we view the Christian life through the lens of stewardship? What does it mean to be a consecrated steward, one who is doing holy things with the, the things that God has entrusted to our care? And with contentment today, we must ask this question. If Jesus has come to forgive the sins of our greed, what can it look like for us to be content in this world? What can it look like when we stop looking at the world, asking what can I get from the world, but how can I bless the world with what I have been given by God? I have an example of this that I want to share with you. Last fall, one of our members took on this challenge of blessing the world with what she had been given by God. Cappy Murray, on October 10th, turned 90 years old, a milestone, milestone birthday because actually only 34% of American women turned 90 in our country. And as she was thinking about how do you celebrate turning 90 with friends and family, her son suggested something different, a different way of marking this occasion. Instead of having a party in which people bless you, how can you use the people at your party to bless the world? And so she chose 90 of her friends, 90 people she knew, and gave each of them $90 and asked them to take that $90 and bless someone else with it. And then for her birthday, just send a card telling her how it was used. People could use it however they wanted. And she said it was one of the most exciting things she's ever done. Because each day she went to the mailbox and she learned of another way that an organization cares for the neighbor, another way that neighbors were caring for one another. She learned of organizations like Tunnels to Towers that helps the families of first responders from 9-11. She learned of an organization that takes Bibles that are no longer being used and sends them around the world. She learned of people who helped neighbors in need, homeless individuals, or just did random acts of kindness. This kind of activity of looking at what she had and asking how she could bless others with it is an outgrowth of contentment. An example of how we can be consecrated stewards, people set apart by God to do holy things with the things that God has provided. As Cappy was telling me about this, one of the things that she reflected on was that when she first took on the project, she was nervous, trying to figure out how to make this work. 
Should she give some guidance to the people who are receiving the money? Should she put stipulations on how it should be used? She struggled with what kind of guidelines to put into place with the gift. But in the end, she chose to do none of that. Instead, she simply said, give with a happy heart and where you know it will make a difference for others. And she said what surprised her in the responses is that every single one was an organization or a person she would have helped as well. None of them were given to organizations or causes that ran contrary to her own faith and life. All of them were recipients she was happy to have blessed. And I think that that's significant as well. Because in reflecting on that realization with her, I observed it's likely that this happened because people took the responsibility of being a steward seriously. They recognized that the $90 they had received was a gift from her to bless someone else, and they wanted to honor her with what she had given. They saw it as her money, even though she had given it to them, and said, do with it as you desire. They took that trust seriously and sought to honor the life that she has lived. That's how stewardship is supposed to work. God gives us things to use in this world and trusts us to use it in a way that honors him. People were content with what she had provided and simply wanted to honor and bless those with what they had been given. No one lamented to Cappy that they, should, they had only gotten $90 instead of $900. They simply took the opportunity to bless. No one used it in as a way that was frivolous or would disappoint her because they wanted to honor what was given. This is how stewardship is supposed to work. We rejoice in the gifts God has given to us and use it to bless others in this world as well. You see, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they were rejecting the blessings of God and they failed to be stewards of what he had given. They lamented that what he provided simply wasn't enough. And so when we look around and see only what we lack, when we hoard what we've been given and complain, it's not enough, we do the same. We fail to be good stewards of what God has given. When we use it in a way that dishonors him, we fail to be good stewards of what was given. For those who are members of our congregation, you should have received or will be receiving in the next couple of days a letter that introduces the topic which we've talked about today and explores in a different way what it means to be a consecrated steward, to be people set apart by God to do holy things with the things that God has given to us. Contentment is where we begin. And so today we rejoice in what God has given to us. We rejoice that we get to be the recipients of his blessing, both in earthly things and most importantly in spiritual things, that he's given all that we need to support us in this life and life in the world to come. And so we are content because in the Lord we have received the greatest gift of God's Son, and his Son has given us his kingdom. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.